Welcome to the Fezoro podcast. No telling what you might find. Listen in on talks and discussions ranging from dream analysis to spiritual or psychological topics to some other things. Soak in the good vibes and thanks for joining us. You taught me how to speak, showed me what to eat, yeah, you gave me lots of friends. You showed me fire burns, you taught me tables turn, now I'm turning on the heat. Hello, I'm your host, Faisy Crofts. This is my first podcast episode. I have been intrigued by podcast technology and have had a desire to tinker with it. Plus, I enjoy collecting sound files of stories, dream interpretations, and conversations over time. So I thought I would cut my teeth on a podcast project and see where interest leads. I hope to receive some feedback from listeners to help me learn about what works and what doesn't and to shape what I share going forward. Today's episode shares the main parts of a conversation with a few friends and an enigmatic elderly Quaker gentleman named Hector Black. The conversation took place on August 6, 2016. I had just told him about my admiration for the Quakers and why it was that I looked so forward to meeting him before receiving permission to take and share this recording. When I look back at history, I have not found many examples of white communities who had played an admirable role in race relations. In 2013, I attended a local community college and took a history course in which I learned that the anti-slavery movement began in 1820 with blacks and a few Quakers, most or all of whom were at that time Caucasian. Quakers remained involved from the very beginnings of the anti-slavery movement and supported materially through discourse and the media and by offering safe haven to escaped slaves. They first openly denounced slavery in 1688. As I listened to Hector, I had the impression that he had a relationship with words in which he seemed unsatisfied with them. If you listen, you might see what I mean. There were moments when he searched for a word, and you could seem to tell what word was coming, but just then he would sort of let go of the word like it wasn't quite good enough, make eye contact, and leave the sentence unfinished. What a radiant face he has. I wish you listeners could see his expression. This way of sketching, instead of embellishing his communication, was intriguing and inspiring to me because it felt like I was in the presence of the totality of the man. It turns out there is a good amount of information about him on the internet. Without further delay, let's listen in. Unraveling racism. Uh Uh-huh. And one of the things that we challenged ourselves on was that we, uh, Quakers did work in the Underground Railroad, risking a great deal uh, in, mm. in getting slaves out of the South and up into the North and into Canada. But we had this question, fit for freedom, but not for friendship. Oh, wow. And I think that really rang a bell with me. Not that, I, you know, I've had some good friends uh, of color, but here especially, you know, yeah. I, I, there's such a small. We went to the Juneteenth 
celebration in Kukula celebrates the liberation of the slaves and, and all. As a little uh, African-American community in Cookville, and we know quite a few people there and all, mm. but it's still not the same. I, I just thought it was a time earlier in our lives when we spent two and a half years in We were the only white people in an all-black neighborhood, and that was the first time I ever was a minority. In Atlanta? In my life, yeah. In Atlanta, and that was an amazing experience. I took our children to the local school to enroll them, and I went to the principal's office to meet him. I said, I'm Hector Black, and he said, I'm George White. (laughs) There you go. We got a good It was inevitable to happen eventually. Yeah. It happened to you though. Because <laughs> we were talking in the car on the way over here. I said, you know, Hector Black, I said, I've met a lot of black people whose last name is White. <laughs> and we were talking about that. <laughs> yeah. That just happened. <laughs> But that was an extraordinary experience, and we're still in touch with some of the children. Of course, we adopted, or we didn't formally adopt, but Mm. she was a part of our family. uh, A beautiful child. Mm. She was very neglected. she had impetigo sores, her little skinny oh. 11, 12 year old. Poor dear. Sores on her legs, and her hair hadn't been braided in a long time. And mm. she was just one year older than our oldest daughter. We had three, our three daughters were with us there in, mm. in this neighborhood. They were the only white kids in, this, in an all black school. And uh, man, oh man, it was extraordinary. Yeah. They feel that it left them free to interact. They don't. They don't have any uh, problem in interracial situations, and they mm. feel they they just feel completely free to interact with people, and don't. It's not hard to be mm. in a minority. Mm. What I, what I'm sorry. What do you mean by that? The you, the the girl you adopted. So yeah, the one I, the dirt girl I adopted was uh, she lived with us for about thirty, almost thirty-five years. Uh-huh. Went on to college and everything, and then she was murdered. Oh my goodness! It's a frightful thing that. Uh, oh my goodness! Me through a really that's what I spoke about at the at that storytelling thing because what happened was that my immediate reaction was rage. Mm-hmm. I was furious. Oh God! Yeah. I, would, I yelled out, I'll kill the bastard. Because I was just, you know, all my feelings of, you know, I never, I was never in favor of the death penalty. Or mm-hmm. these, I, I, in the army, I suddenly realized I, I couldn't kill anybody. And, mm. uh, you know, just, and I never, luckily, I, I never had to. Oh, thank God, I never had you. But, but I, you got to see that you were it, there. Was a, yeah, it? Yeah, it was possible for you to be brought to that point yes. because of the emotions and because of the love and the Abs- loss. Absolutely. Until I 
I think one of the things that helped me was, uh, was trying to find out what had happened to him that made it possible for him to do mm-hmm. this, yeah. to kill. He did was a drug you? addict, oh. mm-hmm. and he was stealing for his habit. Wow. And um, he broke into her house wow. and took stuff and got his first sheet of crack, and, and he walked by again, and there was no light on still, so he figured she wasn't there, and he'd get more. He's a heavy user of crack. And she came home, when, um, and he wanted to get out the back window, but he was hiding in a closet, and he opened, she opened the closet. He tied her hands, but they, he didn't do anything then. He tied her hands behind her back and expected that she'd be able to free herself. But he got a massive hit of crack mm-hmm. after that. And then I found out that about his life, and that helped me a lot. It's not always true. I don't think that that people who do such horrible things uh, have had some horrible things done to them. But I I found out that when he was about 12 years old, his mother took him and his younger brother and his little sister to a swimming pool and said God was telling her to drown them. They were enemies of God. And he and his brother got away and they just stood there while she drowned his little sister in front of him. And I thought, you know, who would I be? What kind of a person would I be today if the woman who brought me into the world tried to take me out of it? And I said, oh gosh, I just can't imagine what that would do. And of course, the, the, the really, you know, the, we're the richest country the world has ever known, and there was nobody to help that little boy. Nobody. Little African American kid. He had to deal with it. Mm. And a lot more. Mm. Horrible stuff. But uh, it doesn't excuse what he did. Mm-hmm. But it made him a human being. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the thing of it. Mm. Uh, that, that that's what helped me to get mm-hmm. past my rage. I think I got past the rage, you know, after a couple of weeks, maybe not all that long, but um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get over the pictures of what oh. had happened. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it's so beautiful here. I walk down along the creek, mm-hmm. there's water flowing, and it, you know, it's so beautiful, peaceful. And then these pictures of what that man had done to my daughter. Oh my just, God. And I couldn't stop him. I had to go right through to the end until he killed her. And then I never knew when it would hit me. And it just came. It was like he was pushing my face in the mud. Uh-huh. And he had power over me. I think it's really uh, forgiving. Took away that... It's still very hard to, mm. to speak about. Mm. Uh, it's still very painful. Because how we loved her so much, mm. you know. And I, I said at the, at the courtroom, you know, she wasn't our daughter by any claim of blood, 
but she was our daughter by every claim of love. Mm. And that was really true. Mm -hmm. My children were devastated and my wife. And she was, you know, such a wonderful person. She she worked in a settlement house and worked in the library mm -hmm. teaching kids to speak, read, mm -hmm. speak clearly. Uh, she was a storyteller. Mm -hmm. The kids all loved her. Hector, what was her name? Patricia. Patricia. And we called her Trish. Trish. Yeah. Yeah, I made the, all those things like, um, what does it mean to love your enemy? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. And uh, that's my burning question, too. It has been for many years. He has heard me talk about Christ on the cross praying for his enemies. Yeah. So many times he's got to be sick of yeah, it. Absolutely. I can't get over it. I cannot get over it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's my burning question. How do you do it? You know? How do you love that much? I don't... I don't... I think it's just... Uh, for me, anyway, it's a gift of God. I, it's not me. Yeah. It's, you know, it just seems a little arrogant to say God uses me, but <laughs> I think that's what happens. Mm -hmm. If you yeah. get out of the way sometimes. Mm -hmm. we, we write, we still write to each other. This guy who killed Trish. Where is he? I'm so glad. He's in prison in South Georgia. Okay. And he's <clears> there <throat> for, for life? life? Yes, for life. But he, he'll never get out of prison. That was the only, the only deal we could get. They, they wanted him dead because oh. he was clearly guilty. Yes. He confessed to everything that he did. And um, there was no, no problem with guilt. And... We wrote a letter to the judge and told him why we didn't want the death penalty, my wife and I. And uh, so he got life without possibility of parole. And one of the things that helped me to forgive him, the thing that really finally tipped me over the edge, was uh, in, the, in the courtroom, you know, after the guy's sentenced, why well, you get a chance to say how the crime has affected you. And um, one of the things that I said, I don't know if I've forgiven you, Ivan Simpson, but I don't hate you. I hate with all my soul what you did to my daughter. Mm -hmm. And then I, I turned around and I was looking into his eyes for the first time. I didn't want to look at his eyes. I just didn't want to meet his eyes, and this time I did, and I said, I wish for all of us who have been so wounded by this crime, I wish that we might find God's peace, and I wish that also for you, Ivan Simpson. And the tears were streaming down his cheeks. He was just so... I've never seen... I've never had a look like that in my life before or since. It's like a soul in hell. Mm -hmm. 
And then he went up to the, asked for the microphone, and twice he said with tears streaming down his cheeks, I'm so sorry for the pain I've caused. I'm so sorry for the pain I've caused. And that night I couldn't sleep, and so I just was thinking about what he had said. And I could say, big deal. You killed my daughter and you're just sorry. Yeah, big deal. Mm -hmm. Or I could have said, that was, and it was true, really. That was the only thing he could do. Mm -hmm. He had nothing to give me, Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. He was a poor man. There was nothing he could do to make up for what he had done. But to express that sorrow to me, he could have said, hell with all of you. I'm going to die in prison. My life's over. But he didn't do that. Mm. He said those few words, and I, I just felt that, that was it. I, yeah. There's no way I couldn't forgive him. And often the murderers don't even apologize. They're not at that place. You know, they're in their numb zone of not being human. Do you know what I mean? This this young man was able to feel the pain that he caused you all to the degree that he could weep and say he's sorry. And that was all he had, you're right, to give you. Yeah. And you recognize that. Yeah. He didn't have to, and they often don't, you know. Right. There was a lady in the courtroom. They have these people who try to help you through extremely emotional times. And she'd seen, I guess, all everything under the sun, yeah. and she said, that's something we hardly ever see, mm-hmm. true remorse. True wow. remorse, exactly. And I think it's just that uh, he must have been expecting. Trisha's cousin got up and said, I hate you, Ivan Simpson. I hate you because my, my taxes are going to feed you. I hate you because you took the life of my cousin. She, I hate you because you'll see the morning, and she will never see the morning again, and... She just was in tears, and uh, and then I, I think he expected more hate from me. And yeah, there was written a long, uh, so many letters <laughs> back and forth. You know, when my wife died. He, it's really kind letters. Aww. I wonder if he would we- welcome a new pen pal. He probably would. You think he might? Yeah. He, he enjoys writing. Yeah. He's very devout. He's, uh, you know, he wrote me just maybe a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And again, it just amazes me because it, uh, he said... Thank you for forgiving me, Hector, because if you hadn't done that, I'd probably have either killed myself or done something to make somebody else kill me. Mm-hmm. And I just can't un- you know how he can be in prison, which is hell itself. Mm-hmm. You know, he said there were five stabbings in the past two weeks and stuff like that. It must be frightful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to be in that, knowing that's all you're ever going to mm-hmm. see for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. you know? and then to be grateful for, for friendship. Oh, I can understand it. You know what? Yeah, I think, I think if I'm him, I think he's so filled with so much joy at your gratitude and your relationship 
that it actually compensates him for his hell. And he's probably grateful for his punishment because it helps him, uh, it helps him forgive himself. But I, be- I believe that what we're dealing with is you've given him a tremendous amount of joy. Strange as that may seem. He took the life of your daughter, and you have restored to him not only his life, but I believe the joy necessary for that life to be at all meaningful. I I believe that's what's going on. I think you've given him back his joy. He said he tries to be a a force Mm -hmm. for good. He teaches anger management. Wow. Yeah. uh, Undoubtedly, that's that's your influence. Reconcile people who are fighting and allies with each other. But it's, uh, the atmosphere is so full of rage. I just, it would be so, oh man. I mean, even, I, I, I don't know, I, mean, I just am, am amazed that he, that he pulls up and is able to continue. I'll bet he doesn't have many friends, and I'll bet he didn't have a true friend. I'm just guessing mm-hmm. until he met you. I mean, he was on drugs and stuff. He was kind of out of everything. And I'm sure he never had a white true friend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you were a lot in his life, this poor young man who had nothing, and this sad tragedy that brought into his life uh, this role model and this force of, okay, if he can be this, if Hector can love me, then I need to figure out how I can be a little bit like that. I mean, what a what a wonderful transformation for him, you know. Yeah, he's really, he's really, he told me when Susie died, he said, God just loaned her to you. He said what? God just loaned her to you. He said that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. He's right. Yeah, I know. He's I a, think it's just yeah. a, mm. Who would expect him to? You know that to come from mm. uh, the guy who murdered your daughter. I mean, it's just so. Uh, yeah, it's just so. Well, so that's many a, things have happened like that, that uh, since I started visiting prisons and stuff like that I just it's well the, like the a, redemptive power of love is the it, most is the most powerful yeah. force in the world Hector can we ask you how old you are I forget. <laughs> I'm 91 and a half. <laughs> wow. I count the halves now that I'm that old. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to start doing. Like, like we did when we were little. Yeah, I'm eight and a half. I'm almost nine. Yeah. Exactly. When is your birthday? I'm 40 and three-fourths. So. <laughs> to be old like you would be a good thing. I think we all would feel... Very happy to have your, um, I think your physical vigor as well as your mental yeah. state. I'm, I'm very grateful oh. that I still have 
I don't get up and down very easily. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it's not down down once stay. you're up, you're able to stay up. You're <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he Whoa. keeps trying to do things all the time. <laughs> Must be 3 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> we, I know, because we, we had a clock like that when I was young, growing up. Right? So, oh, yeah, right. bing, 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 3 o'clock. <laughs> we had a little bird, that, a cuckoo bird, that oh, yeah. came out, and it was a big, complicated, beautiful, just like in the movie Pinocchio. You know? uh-huh. oh, <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I loved watching that thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. cuckoo clock. It's interesting how diversity is such a part of like today's life, whereas just even 50 years ago, was it? Andrew's from Britain. Yeah. He comes to America as a nursing person, a nurse, meets a lovely African-American lady who's yeah. also a nurse. They get married. So now their daughter is part Brit, part African-American Mary's, you know, some other person. Her well, husband. Well, well, I like to say they're they're dirt poor bog Irish Mississippi slave. That's our. <laughs> That's their heritage. Oh, I like that. And then she marries a man who's half Persian and half American. Whoa. And together they go to China and, and oh, learn man. Chinese. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really beautiful when you think of it. That is. Yeah. That certainly is. But the politics in general, though. Right? No. Right? Yeah. What can you say? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I saw on uh, my Facebook somebody posted the other day. Who would have thought of this a year ago? You know, Republicans for Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I've seen it all. <laughs> the fat lady sung. <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. Yeah. You couldn't make this stuff up. You know? <laughs> um, that's about right. <laughs> Hector, what are your thoughts about life after death? What is your like personal, if I could ask? I think it was Martin Luther King said, you can't kill hate with a gun. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we live in a physical world, mm-hmm. but we also are... The spiritual dimension somehow lives in us mm. very strongly. I mean, there are the things you, and you can't measure or see in the same way or hold. Uh, and I think that part of us lives. I know some people think we all merge into some great beyond, but I, I, there's such beautiful individuality in mm. in every human being. We're all different in our own particular way. And uh, I like to think that that doesn't disappear, that mm. special beauty. Mm-hmm. It's And it seems so wonderful to think that the body it's totally recycled, and you know, you, <laughs> yeah, you right. Be a leaf on a tree, party, or a leaf on a tree, or heaven knows what, or groundhog, or you know, anything it could be anywhere. Yeah. And there may be something from one of the uh, pharaohs is in me. I have no idea <laughs> what makes up my physical body because <laughs> all these particles just reassemble all the time. 
Yeah. And that's extraordinary. But then the the spirit part is, it's just not the same. You know, I believe that I will see, in some form, uh, my wife and my loved ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will be with them in some way. I have no idea how mm-hmm. or yeah, nothing. But I just, uh, I just feel, well, you know, it's, it's love never dies. Mm-hmm. Everything else will pass away, but love never dies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what mm-hmm. stays with me in terms of uh, yeah. that the love that we share with each other, it doesn't have any end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, that's that's pretty much it. Do you uh, still feel your wife with you? Oh yeah, I sure do. I thought. And for a while, you know, I know when I after she died, uh, people started taking all her things away from my room, and I just. I kind of collapsed. I said, don't stop, stop. <laughs> don't take all that stuff away. <laughs> so we, we put some of her things back in the closet. Oh. And just, uh, you know, I suppose sometime, you know, I'll be fine with it being gone. You know, fine, I'll be gone. Yeah. And so, and I sometimes look up at that window because that's where she sat in her wheelchair and watch me digging out in the garden. And when I come in, she say, you missed a weed <laughs> That's a dove. Yeah. <laughs> or I think it's a ripe tomato out there. <laughs> how, how often do you get doves around here? I think oh, you got a dove right there. Oh, yeah, they're forever around. Well, no, maybe not in the winter. I'm not sure I've seen them much She's in the winter. She's so pretty. I, I want to say she, of course, whatever, you know. Yeah. Look at her. Those bird feeders used to be a little higher up because Susie loved to sit and watch the birds. Good gracious. Uh, Sorry. Hello? Mr. Bly? Yes. My name's Teresa and I'm calling with Metro Industrial. We're a workforce management company. We're currently offering job placements in many of the locations here in Middle Tennessee. Oh, no, I don't. I don't have any jobs. I'm sorry. We would like to offer you one. Oh, I well, I'm ninety-one and a half. <laughs> well, you don't sound it. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's a good, clear way to communicate. I'm 91 and a half. You still need me? <laughs> oh, man. I think that's that Martin Luther King quote that the <laughs> arc of the universe bends slowly, but it bends towards justice. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think I'm up in too. It's so hard to see it sometimes. Oh, yeah. These outrageous things yeah. happen. Yeah. And people are, you know, like the frightful. Yeah. Refugees, some kind of 70 million more than there have ever been since World War II. Yeah. I, you know, I just can't imagine what it must be like to, to have to 
flee, leave everything behind. Yeah. Language, culture. Yeah. And go to a completely strange place. Just risk everything. It's a huge amount of suffering, I know. You know, if, if some of the stuff that happens over there ever happened here, we would be, you know, it, it makes these frightful massacres look like tiny stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, you know, I, I, often, I often think about how um, the Holocaust should not have happened, yet... Once it happened, the world conscience awakened uh, in a way such that it will never go back to sleep. Like, I think that the world will never be quite the same. This country used to casually participate in anti-Semitism. There were a lot of American Nazi Party members, a large contingent. It was common for people to be a part of the... Until they understood, until... They got all the way to the end of the road that that leads to. And we realized two things, that fascism is an absolute evil, and that as a world, we cannot afford to have in the policy of our national constitutions, I am not my brother's keeper. We cannot do that. Now, we should have been able to to have these awakenings without it costing the lives of innocent men, women, and children. But but I often think about that, you know. Those tragedies define who we are. Is it hard to live out here? Are you having difficulties? No. No, you're doing okay. I'd be happy to help out if you ever need any help. Well, well recently I've gotten quite a few offers. For jobs. Unemployable, maybe. There's also okay. for driving. Yeah. Uh, I, I just let a few people know that I needed yeah. uh, that kind of help, and several people said yeah. they'd be glad to. Yeah. Well, it's really, I'm, I'm very glad of that. As I, I haven't been back to the prison for a couple of months now, and I really did enjoy that. Hey, you know what? Um, what about what about if I were to pick you up and us go back there the next time you wanted to go? Would that be, be great? A they, they won't let you in, though. No, they're becoming more and more restrictive. They, they won't. <clears throat> I've got a badge with my name and number and everything on it. I've been. Uh, what they call train twice. Wow. And uh, that's on my list to get the training, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah. I think they it's well you're near Nashville, aren't you? Mm-hmm. What train? Yes. So that's where it's it's they usually get in yeah. Nashville for what you have to do. Yeah. 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 But they've they've had a real fast turnover of chaplains. Yeah, they call it prison ministry training. That enables you to go and visit prisoners. Well, so what's training is there to be like? Just and the chap- 
learning. Chaplain seems security. to be the person who arranges all of them. Know what to say, what not to say. And uh, they've had a what lot of turnovers. Jeannie yeah. Alexander was a wonderful yeah. chaplain. Well, why have they had such a turnover? Dedicated, and and she just finally gave up because the, the, the administration is oh. so bent on punishment and nothing, hardly anything in the way of, yeah. of reformation or training. Mm -hmm. And they dumped these guys out on the street after 30 years in jail wow. with 75 books and a record. And no wonder they're back in prison. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just a wretched system. And the yeah. thing is, they're required by law to have to put on any job application yeah. that they've had a prison record, and so no one's going to hire them. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Right, you know. It's really a tough, really a tough one. Well, when you think about rehabilitation of a soul and reform of a soul, that requires a lot of love and care. Yeah. And, you know, not a whole lot of preening and reproach. Actually, I mean, if you treat a child just punishing them and never praising them, that's right. you know, they're going to be a henpecked mess by the time they grow up. And that's what happens a lot, you know. So uh, the science is off on what you do. And, you know, Jesus showed us, you know, yeah. all of the, the prophets taught the same law is that love is how you reform the soul. And that's not what our prison system is about. Besides that, of course, our prison system at this point has become an industry that's publicly traded. And um, I hate to be too cynical about it, but the nature of something like that is such that, you know, it, it, by design, it, an industry wants to grow. It doesn't want to obsolesque itself and end up with less prisoners every year. They want to grow quarter after quarter so that they can require greater yeah. funds. They have shareholders. Yeah, so we've, we've designed it in a way that is creating a, a prison. But I think the state's different from the, the... There's a separate company called, what's it called? Corrections Corporation of America. Mm -hmm. And some of the prisons in Tennessee belong to them, and some of them are still state. And I think the death row prison is a state. Mm -hmm. That's a state yeah. prison. Yeah. But they're, they're all... So little in the way of, yeah. uh, they don't like, they, I think they'd be happy if nobody ever visited. Right, no, they would be, because that would, that would ensure, would minimize their, the complexity of their job. And actually, if you have prisoners that are reforming, uh, that hurts the, the industry mm -hmm. that you're talking about. I mean, it sounds very strange and depraved, but I don't think people designed it this way on purpose to hurt society. But in fact, by design, that's what it's built to do, you know. And so uh, one response to that, I think, is that we have to sort of reintegrate uh, the, the communities of all of these prisoners, which is a larger and larger growing segment of our society, into our prayers, into our thoughts, and into our com correspondence, and into our uh, communications and visits. We have to integrate them back, because that's their only hope. They're not going to get any help in there. Yeah, Dan. They have, now they're making these like artificial islands where some prisoners go, like, to have a better life. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's for, like, the people who are, like, in, like, for life. And, like, they go mm -hmm. on these um, islands. It's almost like a hotel. Like, you have your own room, your own shower. Like, it's safer. And 
There's no security because it's in an island, and if you're going to swim away, you just swim away. Yeah. Right. I've heard about that, and I've yeah. heard wonderful stories. I heard an NPR piece about that. Yeah. And uh, the result of it is kind of predictable. Like, people yeah. are reforming their... And they have, like, rehab and stuff. Yeah. People are becoming better people. Their illnesses are going away. Their addictions are going away. Uh, and that's the nature of when you treat people with love and kindness, you know. That's kind of the nature of And, like, of, they, of and they even, like, let you cook your own food. Like, they have a... Yeah. Yeah. There was just one in, like, near Hawaii and stuff. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's, there's no magic bullet, but for sure, a lot of the way that we treat prisoners... I understand guilt is guilt, but a lot of the way we treat prisoners is very unmerciful, and it's very much in contradiction to the teachings of all the great religions. And it's not helpful because we're spiritual beings. I have a friend who teaches art, and uh, she got all the guys on death row uh, creating various things, and she got in touch with uh, a gallery in New York, and they had, uh, uh, from various prisons, they had uh, art, produced by the prisoners in these different places and she got got it up to New York City and the guys won first prize and they were so tickled Uh, they had this book with pictures of what they'd created it was a Native American man who did a beautiful sculpture of a tree ah it was it was extraordinary and they were oh they were so I've never seen them so just they can be, uh, you know, it just amazes me. They can just laugh sometimes. Like I totally forget where they are. Wow. That they're in this place. Yeah. And, and it just, uh, it just amazes me how, how they can do that. Gosh. <laughs> we, we, uh, during that crisis when the hostages were in the, uh, were, were taken prisoner, uh, there were f- a group of Baha'i students at Tennessee Tech. And so I went into the, uh, where were they? It was a ca- cafe or something there. Mm-hmm. And I saw these guys. And I, I said, are, are you from Iran? And they were kind of hesitant because mm-hmm. everybody was mad yeah. at that country. Yeah. And they said, yes. And uh, I said, well, we'd really love to have you come out. And uh, so they all came out. They were very, they were a little scared out here out here, oh. and they learned how to, they taught. They said, "Oh, there's a game we play called uh, what is it? It's on the checkerboard with these triangles." Oh, backgammon! Yes, backgammon. And oh. they said, "We're not very good at it, but we'll teach you how to play." Oh gosh, they wiped us yeah. out. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. They were <laughs> hustling. <laughs> they were hustling. Yeah. That's funny. We're not very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you brought your buy in. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so I thought maybe because uh, Faisy mentioned maybe about a prayer, maybe Eli could offer a prayer and then we'll give you a hug and say thank you for your warm hospitality. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Eli, do you want to say a prayer? Oh my God, O Thou forgiver of sins, bestower of gifts, dispeller of afflictions, verily I beseech Thee to forgive the sins 
of such as have abandoned the physical garment and have ascended into the spiritual world. O my Lord, purify them from trespasses, dispel their sorrows, and change their darkness into light. Cause them to enter the garden of happiness, cleanse them with the most pure water, and grant them to behold thy splendors on the loftiest mount. If we all get behind you and get a picture with you, okay. is that okay? I'll take a picture. If we angle it right, we could get a group selfie with everybody. Okay, we'll pray. I'll keep you in there. Would somebody sit beside me? Oh, I would. I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> Got the clock in there too. Okay, one, and then right. move over a little bit. There you go. Okay, one, two, three, smile. My son Eli was 13 at the time of the recording and said a prayer for the departed at the end there. This was intended for Hector's adopted daughter who passed away. Eli is also the one whose voice you hear in the very beginning of this podcast as the intro. I think I might keep it for a while. I like his voice for publication better than my own. I hope to hear from you. You can visit my site at fazoro.com. That's Foxtrot Alpha India Zulu Oscar Romeo Oscar.com and click on the Fazoro podcast link. You can also email me at fazoro at gmail.com. Folks, thanks for joining us. Oh, you taught me how to run. Yes, did. Oh, you taught me how to run. Now I'm